You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Comedy Cellar Show here on SiriusXM Channel 99. We're at the back table of The Comedy Cellar. My name is Noam Dwarman. I'm the owner of The Comedy Cellar. I'm here, as always, with my, I guess you're my co-host, then. My co-host. Well, you're just uh, figuring that out now? Well, you know... I thought that's what I never. Uh, I, I never thought I'd have a co-host. I never, I never signed up for that. But I guess I do have one. My co-host, Mr. Dan Natterman, and our producer, Mr. Stephen Calabra, sitting in, and our guest, Stephen. Uh, I gave him a hard time. And now he gave me a, an intro. Tom Shalou yeah, is an American stand-up comedian, Fox News host, and actor and storyteller. He is also an actor and TV personality. Anchor. You put actor twice? Oh my you know God. when they have Amer- you know when they lead with American, it came right off of Wikipedia. Yes. <laughs> he is an American stand-up comedian. And you didn't put his new book in here. He has a copy of his book. I, do. I figured he'd, he'd plug it himself. <laughs> You're right. No, I, th- I think when you introduce somebody, you actually put the uh, well, it's starring in a new I movie. Has a new book out. It says so much. The cover is like, you know, that's all people want to talk about. Whoa. I don't mind. He has a new book uh, called Tom Shalhoub, Mean Dads for a Better America, The yeah. Generous Rewards of an Old-Fashioned Childhood by at HarperCollins. Is that it? Yeah. Available at Amazon and all the rest. Well, welcome, welcome, Tom. Thank you. I'm happy that you can be on my show, even though I could never get on Red Eye as much as... I did have plans. I mean, we can talk about the booking of that. Of that show. It took me a while to get Dan. I mean, Dan, I used to... I, do you remember when I asked you, will you do Red Eye, and you said yes? How long before that ask and the time you got on? Uh, I don't recall. About a year. Was it a year? It was about a year, yeah. Okay. And somebody told me no one wanted to do the show. Like, because, you know... Because I'm he, very political. Yeah, and they said... Uh, and I don't know... I forget who it was. But I think I think Christine, my booker. Do you know Christine Cotta? Uh, maybe by sight. Because she told me, I think, you know, and there was somebody else, too. There was, like, because comics. I think she came in one night. Yeah, they were like, first of all, you should go down and do their podcast. And second of all, Noam should be on Red Eye because he's great. He knows all the issues. He's perfect for the show. I said, great. So I put your name in, and I got, I didn't get a no. I got a no response. And then, like, when you get no response, you get nothing. Now, I'm still there. I'm not going to say there's anything bad about Fox News. But the one thing was it was a little frustrating when I couldn't get guests on. um, And I don't know the rhyme or the reason of it, you know? But it's a news channel. They have, they have system. They have a system of like you know. They didn't. They they had. Uh, there was a couple of comedians. Most comedians they would, you know, they would just let me do what I wanted. But other times they would have them on and be like, oh, no more of that guy or whatever. So did they give a Gutfeld more latitude than they gave you for guests? Like did he have his way kind of? Well, it was it was a gradation because at the beginning nobody paid attention to him because he was on in the middle of the night. So as the sh- the channel became more, I mean, it was originally a kind of a cult hit channel. Now it's the number one channel it's the number one it's number one like not news it's number one in cable fox news it's the top channel in cable we're not you know people always oh fox news look at you over there i'm like it's mainstream we are mainstream we're like everybody watches fox news i I watch it all the time yeah and and I'm, i'm so tired of this shit i watch it all the time and i'm smart and i and i and i am not uh i'm not in the echo chamber and i read everything and i watch other channels there's a lot of good stuff on fox news Absolutely. and people who don't watch it are 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 cutting themselves off from points of view that they should not be cutting themselves off from absolutely i mean it's it's absurd most I mean, people 90% of the people who criticize fox news watch samantha b watch the daily show they just watch a couple of clips and most of it is false it's like things just little things snipped out or whatever it's ridiculous i mean the sh- the, the channel has a, a great diverse group of, it's the most, I've worked in entertainment. I worked at Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, you know, uh, the, what are the, Viacom, all those Viacom channels, MTV, 
NBC, CBS. I've worked at all the channels. It is the most diverse place I have ever worked. Fox News is. Fox News. The diversity of thought, the fact that they have people all across the spectrum. Do you think I ever ran into a, a, a Christian? Well, you're talking about diversity of thought. Diversity of thought. That's, that's the real diversity. Well, I know that, but typically when people use the word diversity nowadays, they don't mean diversity of it's thought. It's true. You're right they about that. They mean diversity of, of, of skin color. That's an incisive observation. I'm glad well, you brought that up. Well, it's an obvious observation. Yes. But uh, I just wanted to make sure we're clear what you meant by diversity. Isn't well, Fox has diversity of skin color, too. A absolutely. You're right. And uh, what's her name on uh, on the outnumbered? Harris Faulkner is that her name? Yes, she is fantastic, fantastic. on that show. Yeah, I mean, and a straight news person and a great, uh, uh, you know, opinion uh, person on that show. You know, she gives her opinion. It's, I mean, diversity of thought to me. If you're in broadcasting, that's that's all that does matter. And yes, it is diverse. You got people from, it's diverse in skin color, but also in religion. Like there are. You know, I don't remember meeting any people who were openly religious at, you know, at Comedy Central when I was there, you know. But no. there are people, you know, but not all of them. There's, there's atheists at Fox News. They come in all stripes. But the thing is, if you look at the, that's real diversity, you know. I, I feel the same way. I, I, I read uh, uh, Jim Cramer's book a long time ago about confessions of a street addict or whatever it was called. Yeah. And he talked about his experience with Roger Ailes. And he said, and Jim Cramer's like a, a, a Democrat. And he said, everybody misunderstands Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes loves a good debate by people who believe what they're saying. Absolutely. That's, that's a paraphrase. And, and Fox News seems to be that. Yes. For better and worse. I mean, I'm not a fan of Hannity. I think it's predictable. And he, you know, he's just kind of a shill a lot of the time. But I'm not going to stop watching the whole network because of that. I, I, Mike Birbiglia said to me, I told him I was watching The Five. He goes, you're too smart to be watching that. I'm like, why are you saying I'm too... S no, I guess I'm not... I guess I'm just not as smart as you think well, I am. Well, Mike is dumber no, no, than no, he no, pretends no, no, to be. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's not a smart thing to say. Uh, well, you know... It's <laughs> not smart. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I'm, yeah. I know, Mike. I mean, listen, I've debated this guy. Yeah. These people, like, the idea is like, I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Mike Birbiglia any day on politics. And he's like, oh, oh, oh Shalu, you like... Oh, you like... The it's like, it's it's... They, they don't know what they're talking about. They live... I mean, it's the definition of a bubble. I, I actually agree with you. Now, I don't, I, I, would, I don't like... I'm trying to get away from the term smart or dumb because I think among, you know, among all the people who are commenting for a living on their opinions, I think the, the range of IQ is, is pretty tight. I mean, they really are stupid. When we call somebody stupid, it's no, not Mike's really... No, smart. He said a stupid thing. When he said yeah. that to you, that was a stupid thing to say. That's fine to say. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not. It, yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. I think I agree with you. I'm just. I'm just trying to avoid those words because uh, what I really think it is. How is, smart is the average is comedian? Close-minded and smug. Do you think so? Listen, the dumbest of us are very. No, smart. the dumbest of us are really dumb. Well, <laughs> really dumb. Profoundly so. Is Ray Allen coming? By the way, uh, <laughs> later. <laughs> No, no, that wasn't. Just, <laughs> I, I don't know if he's coming. But I've often, I've wondered, like, I, sometimes I wonder. I'm just asking if you'd be loyal. That's all. I'm not implying anything. You know, it takes brains to pull off that Aruba scam. <laughs> yes, it well, does. Well, I don't want to. I don't. I, it's, I don't. He's know probably it's a scam. the smartest of them all. <laughs> exactly. No, I don't think it's a scam. But um, it's um, it's it's a win-win for everybody. You know, the comics enjoy going down there, and, and Ray makes whatever money he's making. I don't know, but. Um, <laughs> You know, but um, you say the average comic is very smart. Yeah, I, I think I don't think very. Smart. I think the dimmest among us are uh, are have a a surfeit of intelligence. We are we're loaded with intelligence, and maybe it's a different kind. I don't know, of intelligence. man. I, I I I'm wondering sometimes how hard it really is. Like you know, uh, 
if if I wonder if everybody was forced to go into comedy, you, you know, the, um, how many people would do it well? Yeah. You know, are we are we the best at what we do, or just the best of the people dumb enough to get into stand up? Well, no, you're right about that. You and, are. And, and not pursue real careers. Yeah. And I I mean, it's there's a caveat. I would say anyone who got into stand up, uh, you know, before, the, so let's say. You you had to be a working standup before fifteen years ago. I think if you if you it's, cut it's, off the, the bar's MCs, lower now. if you just if you just take the MCs and and, and segregate them out, <laughs> you have a very high. I, you know. Very, very well, do you also IQ. think that you're? <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean I just just judging by the jokes. Now of course comedy combines two skills: writing the jokes and performing the jokes. Yeah. So comics <laughs> have to have both of those things. Yes. Uh, but but intelligence. It would be more uh, the writing of the jokes is more indicative of intelligence than the performing of the jokes, I think. And just looking at the jokes, I'm not, I don't know even how hard it is necessarily to come up with the average joke that stand up comedians tell. And, um, you know, I've, I've often wondered that. I've often wondered if I took one of my smart friends from high school I, I think that's doing, that's in medicine or law or science, and, and they tried comedy for five years, how good they might be at writing jokes. I, I think an inquisitive mind is not all the time, is, is quite often an indication of a higher intelligence. And I think just the desire to be thinking about things yeah. all day long and then trying to make them funny, that's how you make a living at it. But, but, but I don't know if it's... But just the active mind thinking about the world, thinking about issues, thinking about how to look at situations, that's a sign of intelligence to me. And it's a creative intelligence. You know, people talk about different... You know, there's the... I don't know much about it, but people have written books about emo well, emotional intelligence. EQ. Well, I'm a big believer in that. Well, yes. I've read that musical intelligence, the ability to write songs, is of no correlation whatsoever to, to other kinds of intelligence. So one could be a brilliant songwriter and completely uh, shitty in mathematics or yeah. in anything oh, else. I, absolutely. You know, it, it's just another part of the brain. One can also be a linguistic genius. There are people that can learn languages very, very easily and are stupid at everything else. Um, it's a whole other kind of thing. So I, I guess a it savant, could. I guess it could be that that maybe it, you know comedy is its own particular type of of uh, of intelligence. Uh, now th that's a good segue into you because I met you as a stand-up comedian, not as a as a uh, pundit and not as a Fox News commentator. Yeah. And are you still engaged in stand-up in the classic art of classic? Oh, absolutely! I did stand-up last night. I mean, at Caroline's. And uh, I love it. And, you know, even when I was very busy with Red Eye, I would get out and try to headline once a month, you know. And uh, so, you know, I, I, uh, I, will always, I will always do it. Was it you that had the bit about uh, at the Christmas season turning the channels and seeing It's a Wonderful Life on every channel? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, oh. I did. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was like, I would do, you did anything to stay alive in the 90s, you know, so I would do impressions. And, yeah, because uh, you're a gifted. You're, the fact is, you're a gifted impressionist, and we associate impressions sometimes with l lower intelligence. What we do? I think so. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, Some, hold on. I think that Com in the comedy world, look down their nose. I think at they might, but intelligence? I don't know. I, I don't think. Well, in the comedy world, I like impressions. Well, yeah. we all love impressions. They're but craftsmen. The, They're craftspeople. In the comedy world, I think. Uh, impressions and jokes are two different things, and yeah. I think there's a sense among some that the jokes are the more intellectually. Um, yes, yes. Well, then, demanding. Of there's the always two. the impressionist who was also a great stand-up, like Daryl Hammond. You would see his act. He didn't rely on the impressions, and yeah. you would be like, "Wow, that's a guy who can really, you know." So it was always impressive to see people combine the two. Or who I think, um, you know, what's his name? Who's the guy? Rich uh, Little. Oh yeah, but uh, he was a total inspiration to me. I mean, I used to love Rich Little when I was a kid. I used to learn his 
his routines on his albums. I'd play them over and over. But um, you know, who's the guy who does the sports stuff a lot? He's great impressionist. Dennis oh, yeah, Miller, the, the the fat guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Louis Anderson, it's an Italian guy. Yeah, yeah. Come on, um, he's on Stern a lot. He's like yeah, the greatest. He's the greatest. He does a John Madden. Yeah, yeah. and he does. He does Pacino. And Everybody and, is listening right now. Yeah, is screaming. John, oh, John uh, for, for Campanero. Or no, something. no. Who is it? Frank yeah, Caliendo. Yeah. Frank, Frank Caliendo. 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 Caliendo yeah. is a great comic. I mean, even if you watch him do an hour of only impressions, I mean, he's a great stand-up. Yeah. You know. Well, so. sometimes doing an impression, yeah, you can incorporate a great joke within the yes. impression. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, you know. the, the comedians uh, come at it from one point of view, but the audience. You know they want to have a good time, and they're and you sh you put somebody up there who's remarkably talented, even if it's tangent and it's kind of funny, but it's still a remarkable. Like he sounds just like John Madden. Yeah, like they, they, they're not gonna say, "Hey," but that's you know. He, no, of course that's not. not. A and I'm, and I'm not a joke. But the comedians will. The, like you know, the comedians will get upset. Like it's Ryan funny. Hamilton, you know, what's his name? Uh, T.J. Miller had that bit with the slide whistle. Yeah. And Ryan Hamilton was all bent out of shape about it, you know. <laughs> but it was hilarious. If it gets a lot, I mean, I don't care. I don't care. I'm not a snob about comedy. I mean, if when I used to go to colleges and I would see the like, I would do a set, and then a guy, a college comedian, would get up after me in a Hawaiian shirt and do some kind of specialty act. But he would destroy. I mean, they loved him. It was like a total party. And I'm like, well, you got to love that guy. I mean, he's he is. You, you, you know, it's good. You were very tight, if memory serves, and I don't know if it's still the case, with Mr. Jim Gaffigan. Oh, yeah. You were besties. I mean, we're still besties, And yes. you're still besties. Yes. So maybe you have some insight into why he doesn't come down here. Oh, well, listen, what about me? Why aren't you asking me? Shalou, why don't you come down here? Jim and I started together, and we both, you know, you have your orbits. You, you know, we're like, we're like rats. Comedians are like rats. Like, you go to your same places, and you don't get out of that path. And so we used to do... Uh, Boston. The only time I ever, you know, in the 90s, I would come to the cellar if someone said, you have an audition, and I would come. But, like, it's just comfort. Like, I would do, you know, Lucian would be like, come do my club, and I did it. You know, and you kind of, Gaffigan and I are both like, you know, we're not very, I mean, I'm, I'm much more social than him. But we're a little prideful, so we just, like, you know, I, I would go on, at, you know, I got on, started working at Caroline, started working at the Strip. Uh, then, uh, you know, what's his name up there on 77th Street? Um, stand up? No, yeah, New York. Yeah, stand up. What's his name, though? The uh, Gabe. You know. Or before that was Carrie. No, it was Carrie. So Carrie, Carrie, Carrie saw me come, come up to my club. You know, so <laughs> I kind of I waited to be to be asked. You know what I mean? And then you just get in your orbits, and that's where you you live and die. And then I started doing like the moon work in the East Village. So it just you know, and Jim is probably the same thing. You know what I mean? He probably, well, he had his orbits that he goes, what's your theory? Yeah, well, first of all, I was supposed to say about Ryan Hamilton is a saint. When I say he was bent out of shape, I mean, he was just, he, he was just thrown by no, it. He, this yeah. is, Ryan, no, just, just I don't think he gets bent out of shape about No, yeah, but no. Ryan is, is, is nice to ever, I mean, he would never get bent out of shape like it's that. Just, his no, enormous no. smile just no, shrunk a little Gaff bit. It's, it went down in the corners for a few just, seconds uh, and then went back up. So Gaffigan, I think he had a, a beef with Esty. Probably. That's what I think. And, uh... And I don't know why. I think that when I mean, I remember Gaffigan when he first used to perform here, and I remember thinking he was really funny. And I actually remember thinking like he was he wasn't getting enough time. But I wasn't really involved in it that much in, in the club. And then he hit became huge. Yeah. And he had not really been recognized here mm. for what he was uh -huh. that he became. And I think it stuck in his craw. And I think he still resents it. I like Wood. It could be. He never said that. I spent a lot of time on the road with him. And he never expressed any outward... I like uh, gum. I think he has too much yeah. class to express it. Yeah, I mean, he's a quiet guy, and he does have... Uh, you know, he's, he's kind of old school as well. He's got his things, you know, his people that he, he goes to. 
You know, he loved he, Gladys, and he continued doing Gladys's room even after he got big, because that's where I met him, at a Gladys room at Coldwater's. Was it just love in- at first sight? Like, you guys are, like, both so similar in terms of the, the whiteness. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you, a, are you a Catholic? Yes. Are you a practicing yeah. Catholic? Yes. And he's yeah. a practicing Catholic. And we would go on the road together, and, like, our fa- like I would take my family along, and, and we would make it a big family affair. You know, it was, like, all the kids in the hotel pool, and... Um, so yeah, we, we have a, we love spending time together, you know, and he loves, I mean, it was great to tour with him cause he was just a great, hmm. you know, just going out for steak after the show. And um, I, I think that human beings, like you, you react to something viscerally, it's just like, oh, you know, you, and it just, you go into a place where you, you had some unpleasantness attached to it and yeah. it just stays with you. So you're, so you're just like, I'm not going in there. You know, it's not, it's not spitefulness. It's just like. I don't want to go in there because it kind of like pushes. Even if it's like twenty years later, yeah, it just it, just, it brings back a certain vibe. That why would I? I'm Jim Gaffigan. I don't need to put myself pump myself through that vibe. So he probably just yeah a- avoids it. And I'm that way too. Although not with the seller, I just never. It was just not a. You know, I wasn't in my orbit, and then it just remained not that way for me. And then it was like because John Bush, I was close with, and Gaffigan, and <laughs> what are all the whitest all guys. All the whitest of the white. It's really amazing, isn't it? But Bush well, and I you know. and uh, A.D. Miles would go to the strip. Oh, and A.D. Miles another one. Yeah. yeah. And then we'd come downtown and do Luna, you know, and uh, so it was just, it's like your orbits that you travel in. Let's but then there's the Boston scene. Look, I'm a Boston comic, but I never succeeded in Boston. I started, I did uh, Nick's, I would do the open mic night on Sundays with uh, Billy Martin, you know. And then I did Catch a Rising Star, but I never got above the Monday nights there, you know. And then I moved to New York, and then I just never went back there. It's like the Boston thing. I never made it in Boston, so it's not like I'm not all charged up to go back and headline in Boston. I'll go back. How are they different? How are the two scenes different? Oh, it's, for me, you know, I don't know because I don't know the Boston scene, but when I I went to the Boston clubs, I thought, oh, I want to be a stand-up comedian because I loved Bob Newhart, and I used to, like, you know, Cosby, Newhart. I listened to their albums, and then, you know, Carol Burnett. That was my, like... I loved comedy, but I had only seen clean comedy as a kid because they wouldn't, you know, I couldn't listen to Carlin in my house. You know, there was... A prior. Yeah, Car- prior, Carlin. Even Steve Martin. It had a, you know, it had a language label on it, so we, it was, it's not like I could listen to his album, so I would have to listen at my friend's house, you know? But Steve Martin was the dirtiest that I'd heard, you know? Then I went into the Boston clubs, and it was like, I was like, I got to give stand-up a try, and I went to Nick's. On like a Nick's. weekend. I went, I went to college in Boston. So yeah, I, yeah, so I went to Nick's, and I mean, it's like, it looks like a strip club, you know, in the 80s. And Don Gavin gets up, and he's like, what the fuck are you fucking fuck? You know, and then, you know, everybody. It was like everyone in that scene, Leary and... Um, Crimmins? Meanie, Sweeney. Yep. And uh, Seisler. I remember I went to... Then I went again, and I saw Richie Seisler headline. It was like so hard-edged, and I thought, you know, I wanted to be... I wanted to wear like a blue blazer and do... I wanted to do commentary, and you know, it just. And I thought, oh, I guess I can't do stand-up. It's not my thing. And so I, uh, and then when I came to New York, then I found Gaffigan. He was a little, you know, he was low-key, and it wasn't like me. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was. I was like, okay, look, there's people doing their own thing. You know, it wasn't all that same. And the thing is, Boston had that had other people too. Like I just, I had never seen Stephen Wright. If I did, I probably he mm-hmm. probably would have blown my mind. You know, but. So then I, I started with Gaffigan in the kind of open mic circuit, and I thought, okay, maybe I can make a path for myself here. You know, did you so. perform here open mic uh, when Gaffigan was doing like late night? Gaffigan no, I did. You know, uh, what's uh, you know who was the guy that did Rick Chrome? Yeah, Chrome. I would do his show sometime. You know, because didn't he do a show where he played the piano and hosted? Yeah, yeah. I would do that, right? 
And, you know, Rusty McGee, the late, great Rusty McGee, he was kind of like a Rick Chrome type of guy. He played piano, and, and I used to do moon work he with didn't, him. I don't think he worked here, but I remember him. Yeah. He, I think he did a long time ago. He was, like, friends with Lou Black. He and had a, worked. a great bit about uh, all the Jim Steinman songs oh, are cliches. So great. I mean, he had case. great stuff. But I did a lot of variety, you know, and I did the West Bank Cafe. Oh, yeah. You know, which that's Lou what, would do. That's what Lou Black Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. So, did Jim make, I, as I recall, Jim in the earlier days wasn't Mr. Clean. I mean, he had some dirty stuff. He did, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, was that a conscious financial decision to say, I'm going to be clean this way, I get the bigger market, and, and I can perform for children and families and well, religious people? And I, I mean, I think to, to make it 100% clean, it might have had that. But he started going clean anyway, as did I, because it's just more of his voice. You know what I mean? It was like, I used to swear. And I remember, like, it just, it wasn't credible, you know what I mean? Back when we were doing, remember that hotel in Times Square? You know, yeah, you had, yes, the uh, Double Tree. Uh, double Tree? Yeah, yeah, the Double Tree. Yeah, the Double Tree, the, yeah, yeah. And, but you, I, I, yeah. to survive, you had to, you had to just kind of play with the, with the big boys. So you get up, so I'd get up, and you just can't get up and be totally, I already look clean. I already look like a clean living guy, you know, so. I would get up and I would just start, I would swear at the beginning just to establish credibility, and then I'd just go back. I think that the, was in your head. It, you know, I, I think it was very real in your head yeah. that you felt you had to be dirty because everybody else was. Yeah. But Ryan Hamilton, who works right. here, makes no effort whatsoever right, right. to be yeah. remotely dirty, and he's and nobody's thinking, who is this guy? You know, yeah. so I think it was in your head. It was, I'm sure. Um, you, get, you want it to be cool, maybe. You want yeah. to be like the cool kids that is are Is it easier to get swearing. laughs, though, when you're dirty? Yes, of yes. course it is. It, yes. Well, it, Yes, I, yes, I want to talk is. about I think your, it is easier. Your, your new book because I'm a dad and I just had a baby last. My wife just oh. had a baby like ten days ago. Oh my gosh, but, that's fantastic! Thank you. But before we go to the book, I have to ask you about the issue of the day: Bill Maher and the N word. Yeah. What's your What's your take on it? I don't know why we. I mean, Dan and I used to say the N word, you know, every day back then. I mean, in, <laughs> everybody. I don't recall that. Listen, <laughs> people use. I mean, you could. I, in the 90s. I might have done it if I were quoting somebody else. Yes, but in the, the thing is, nobody got... It's like, you know, it's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. It's absolutely... I mean, to even comment on just that, that, you know, that instance, it's like you can't even comment on it because the whole world is upside down. This world is ridiculous. Everyone yep. is pretending well, to be offended by that's, things. Well, ding, some ding, people ding, are ding. legitimately offended. They're not. They're crazy. They're mentally... The, the thing Look, is, but, we are... It's as if we're drinking poison. Like, it's as if... We all have a, uh, you know, Giardia, you know, when you get the bug, when you, when you drink uh, tainted I'm, water. Uh, it's like our country is drinking. Pleasure. It's like <laughs> tainted intellectual water. Like no one is being honest about anything. Well, it's it, so ridiculous. Here's my take if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, I look at it just, I look at it this way. If somebody is offended by it, I'm not going to question their being offended. So, for example, the word Oriental, which we used to use. For, to, I still to mean it. Asian people, okay. it seems like, a, I mean, Asia is an entire continent. It seems like Oriental is actually a better word. It's more specific. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, except all of a sudden, one day, everybody was offended by it. So I don't say it, because I don't want to offend people. If they're going to be offended, I'm not going to question their being offended. Would you not say it in a joke? <laughs> yeah, it depends on the context. Well, but I, but I, I generally say Asian. I've stopped saying Oriental. Um, Would you say the N-word in a joke? I, no, I wouldn't, but I, I not, you know, I, I did. I had a joke years ago with the N-word in That's it. That's what I'm saying, Dan. And um, I, I but, did but too. But it, it, it was not well received usually. But, it, it, but in the context. And I stopped the, doing it. It was funny because coming out of you and in the right context, and if you told it correctly, yeah. then but, you got a laugh. So but you, you never knew. But, but I, you never knew. Sometimes you get a laugh. Sometimes you wouldn't. Sometimes 
Yeah, it's called a joke. Sometimes you don't get a laugh. Right, that's but sometimes you get, that's true. But sometimes you would people would be kind of outraged by it. And um, oh, thank you. You know, so if indeed the black community is offended by Bill Maher's use of the word, then I'm not going to question whether they have the right to be offended. I'm going to accept that they're offended and say that Bill Maher should not use that word. Is it the black community that's offended well, though, that's, or is I, it the white know. liberal community? Because I, I, I would really think don't that it know. would be more likely that it would I be. I haven't the spoken to a whole lot of black people on the issue, except for that guy Wig, who wasn't offended. It's the community that wants to control thought and control speech. It's a it's a very terrible thing. And if there was ever a proper use of the N-word, it was Bill Maher. That was actually a good joke. Yeah. It came, it was it was improvised, it was in context, and the reason it was fun, it wouldn't have been funny if he used a different word. It was funny because it was irreverent, and he was responding to a, you know a question from the Republican senator, and it was about you know, and he he, he said something weird to him, working like, in you know, the field. Yeah, You'll have you out working in the field. Come working in the fields, and it was just working in the a field. Weird thing, yes, senator. <laughs> it was it, the thing is everyone everyone should shut up. I, it's I, I, we live in a very embarrassing time where um, where adults are children. It's it's. Well, it's th- really ridiculous. I, I, I've said that we live in a time where uh, words matter more than actions. and So um, true. And this, you know, you would think that part, at least part of the public discussion about this would be some inquiry into what really is the question that everybody ought to be wondering about is, what did he mean by it? What, was, was there some racist intention in his heart? No, I don't think. Because if, if, this, because if it's a racist, a racist heart, that can be expressed without using the N-word, and it's serious, and it should be rejected. But just the uttering of those syllables cannot, that can't be the only increase. Like the criminal law, they do inquire into what was your intention when you hit somebody by, with a car. Yes. And if it wasn't intentional, usually you don't even get punished. It was an accident, you well, know? You came yes. out wrong, whatever it is. Nobody thinks Bill Maher is a racist. Well, people do think so, that, obviously. People think he's a racist. How could anybody think he's a racist? People think he's a racist because they perceive him as Islamophobic, which they perceive as a brand of racism. But let me tell you what I like about it's it. A brand. I like the brand. And I think you'll agree now, with me so on this. You might say Islam is a religion, hold not on, a race. Hold on. Be that as it may, he hold is on. considered racist by many, including Riza Aslan. This <laughs> is what I like about it. Bill Maher is part and parcel of the whole movement of calling everybody a racist all the time. Yeah. I'm not saying you're a, you're a racist if you're a Republican, but if you're if you're a racist, chances are you are. Yes. A, and how many times did Bill Maher ever cut anybody on the right any slack for saying something that came out a little bit wrong or, or whatever it yeah. is? So he's kind of being hoisted on his own petard, or at yep. least the petard of his whole movement that he... Now, he is in certain ways an outlier in that movement because he's been very, very uh, uh, blunt and powerful speaking against radical Islam and things like that. Anything that has to do with religion, all of a sudden he's very uh, uh, brave about. But on issues of race, no. He's always told the line on issues of race, and now it's come back to bite him in the ass too. So I don't mind that. No, but uh, in your particular case, it's not a word. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, I I only mind it because I care more. It's true that... I understand what people are doing. I understand that people on the right 
when they, they frothed at the mouth over Kathy Griffin for three days. I know what they're doing. I don't think they're sincere. They're not sincere. They're not sincere. They're saying, look, I don't care. You've been doing it to us. We're going to do it to you. Right. We're not going to allow people to get fired from their job, uh, you know, if they're a, a talk radio host or something, and, uh, and, and you not get fired. So we're going to do the boycotts, whatever. That's why I say it's a very silly time. I don't think anyone's being sincere. It's all about power. It's all about control. Controlling people through, th through language, it's a very, very I, I bad do, thing. I do think many... Uh, black uh, Americans are sincerely offended by when a white person uses that word. I don't know how many or what percentage, but some percentage are legitimately argue, uh, and honestly offended. And right. you may say they're, well, so they're irrational or rational, but I do believe they're you sincerely can offended. Yeah, but merits, that's very but dangerous because you, people can get offended. Ryan Hamilton told me the story. He did his, his hot air ballooning joke one day, yeah. and somebody was extremely offended. <laughs> you know, their great their grandfather and the whole family's been hot air ballooning, and they didn't like that Ryan. The best. And they that were outraged. so funny. So you can, you can create... Somebody can be offended by many, many things. You can be offended by an abortion joke, anything. Okay. But you're not the, drawing but, a but, distinction. But, 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 the question is, do they have the right to be offended? Well, Can they make the case why they have the right to be offended? Or do you just have to bow down, well, you were offended and you're black, well, so therefore, I, I, I can't say the I word. Even if I'm making a joke, my, my, I'm nothing racist about what I'm saying, it's a, it's a funny joke, and... He, why can't he say go fuck I, yourself? I was I'm sorry you're offended. Don't watch my show. I was addressing Tom's yeah. point that people are not sincere in their, in their being offended, All right, and you, indeed you they are already. sincere. Uh, now, Do you care? That, does, should it matter if somebody's offended? If somebody is offended and I don't wish to offend them, then I won't say the word. I'm not condemning Bill Maher, but my personal choice is it's not a word that I say uh, in a public setting. I'm, I'm team Bill Maher on this one. I, I, I hope Again, I'm not condemning the man, but it's not a choice that I make. It's not a word that I say. For well, those reasons, I, mean, is I don't want to uh, offend swear. and I don't want to... I don't swear uh, on stage, but the thing is, I, 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 I like some people who do. And the thing is, it's just, it's a terrible, it's, it, it is a terrible thing to start doing, try to control people's language. And I don't, here's why I think that they're insincere. Well, we can go back to Michael Richards when he was screaming in that comedy club. I think it was out in L.A., right? It was the Laugh uh, Factory. Laugh yeah, Factory, yeah. right? And the whole world was so, we all, he didn't know the whole world an apology. He owed an apology to those guys he screamed at in the, in the balcony. You know who owed the world an apology? The rest of the world. The people who were playing that, I mean, the news was playing that stupid tape for five days in a row, nonstop. If it's so offensive to hear that word, why are you playing it on the news? Ratings. Huh? Yes, ratings. So here's the thing. It's not offensive to hear it. They love it. It's They want to celebrate th that this guy did something and got himself in trouble. The, if, it is, if it is damaging to our psyche as a nation to hear that word said over and over, why did all channels and all of our homes were filled with that word for a week? They're a bunch of insincere liars. They're not offended at all. It is ridiculous. Well, by that logic, then, you should never report on anything that anyone ever does that's fucked up because, you know, all the per all that is to blame is the person. It is true. So they should why, never why should, uh, they should not have channels on in that. the 60s have reported well, on well, people getting sprayed with hoses? Why are uh, we... I, don't. I do, with hoses I do feel a, it, it would be helpful to have a, uh, a black perspective if we can find... Uh, if we can find someone, but uh, I'm looking around the room, and I don't necessarily see anybody. But I want to, I want to, you know, uh, speak to that because. Us, but here's the thing: it that was an incident that happened in a club. I mean, we have a club right here. If something happens in the club, it's you know, he offended some people in the club. 
the thing is, he didn't. There was no reason to broadcast that. They really that should not have been a story. The story should, could have been, uh, you know, Michael Richards had to apologize to patrons in a club. I mean, okay, if you're interested in, you know, the the police blotter of the comedy community, that's all you need to do. Playing a tape of him saying something offensive is there's no excuse for that. If it really is offensive to hear a man scream the N word over and over, you should not be playing it on you know primetime television. And I, then I don't know if I agree it. with you. I don't know if I agree with you because uh, it can be a story that somebody did something offensive and you want to see the offensive thing. Also, he wasn't making a joke, you know, like it was pretty ugly what Michael Richards Well, he was attempting did. a joke. It wasn't No, he was not wow. even attempting a joke. No, I think it was ugly. The yeah. thing is, it was ugly, which is why he owed those people in the club an apology. Yeah. He yeah. ruined their night. But to see but Kramer did... unmasked yeah. is news, you know. Well, I guess it's news, but the thing is, if the whole country were you and I, yeah. it'd be fine. You'd play it on the news and we'd be like, wow, that guy had a rough night. But this idea of this discussion of, oh, and are we offended? It's like, no, we're the ones choosing to play it. We were the ones choosing to watch Donald Trump on that bus, like playing that tape over and over. You're like, that's not nice. It's like there's a reason they cover porn at the you know at, you know at the uh, corner uh, magazine store because we don't want women to have to look at asses in their face on the way to work right we just want to be polite yeah so what like why are we making all of America's women watch that you know that Access Hollywood tape for a week it's like we're all a bunch of hypocrites it's like we're not as offended as we pretend to be. Absolutely. I, I, I coined a phrase, an indignagasm, which is indignation and orgasm together. <laughs> yes, yes. Nothing feels better than an indignagasm. I, yes. I coined the phrase uh, grandfondler. That's the person who molested the person who molested you. We have with us <laughs> Tony Darrow. Everybody, I better the late than that. I realized the theme was portmanteau. It was my fault, by the way, that Tony was late. I, it's my responsibility. I assumed. Oh, oh. Uh, so, so, so Tom has a new book out. What's the title of the book again? Mean Dads for a Better America. Now, Dan always disputes what I think you're going to agree with me, that being a father is the great joy of oh, I life. Don't, how would I dispute it? I'm not a father. I just I don't hear that from everybody. Right. And uh, so, But I, introduce your book and tell us what well, it what Don't it you want to introduce on. Tony Darrow? Tony, you did. <laughs> I didn't give him a, a befitting introduction. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tony Darrow. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and Tony Tom, is, is very, very liberal. We've been, try, we've been trying to find somebody black to take the black point of view on the whole Bill Maher thing. <laughs> yeah. But we can't find anybody. So if you could just imitate a black guy, maybe. Uh, well, I'm, oh, I'm halfway God. there anyway. <laughs> Tony not really, is a, not really a white person. Southern Italian, whether you want to <laughs> classify him as white or not. Is, uh, well, is, I haven't got the DNA test back yet, so we'll know. I, I saw True Romance. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> that was like, I mean, talk about the repeated use of an N-word in an artistic context that was, that I think that we're all grateful for. Yeah, all, like, Quentin, all Quentin Tarantino movies, yes, right? Are we yes. offended by them? No. Well, well Denzel that was, was. Well, oh, yeah. well, Denzel wasn't. We should well, stop. Denzel was ever since he did uh, Crimson Tide. <laughs> Let's he, stop the movies he, then. He, he actually, because uh, Tarantino like wrote part of that and he... But then, of course, and this, and this, I don't want to get back to it, but then I know you're going to... But then, of course, if somebody does a picture of the Virgin Mary in cow dung, yeah. you have no right to be offended by that because that's a liberal According cause. to whom? According, according to what happened in New York City when Giuliani tried to not have a yeah. public funding for the for the picture painted out of cow dung of the Virgin Mary. Um, and people, of course, were offended. And there's been other examples, or, or, or what's his name, uh, Maplethorpe with the, the piss right. crisis. Is that Maplethorpe with the piss crisis? It wasn't Maplethorpe. Andre Serrano, I believe. Serrano, Serrano, right. The piss crisis. I mean, is that less or more offensive than Bill Maher uh, using the N-word in a joke? Well, I mean, it's to, just a matter of whose ox is gored, and yes. that's why it's all bullshit. And yeah. actually, I think people really were offended at seeing Jesus in urine. And I can understand them being offended. I don't think people are really offended. Uh, well, I certainly do think so. Unless they've just been programmed, you must be offended. 
Anyway, so go ahead. Your book, Fatherhood. Fatherhood. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's. Uh, I mean, I think it's an obligation. I think people ought to get off their ass and. Get okay. married and have children. I think I, I'm, I'm get sick married of, and have, now, not, not have children. Get married. And get married. Okay. Now, you all gotta, people. You, uh, Dan. You, well, no, you should get married. You should have children. Do you advocate Why? this for all individuals think, or only individuals who have, uh, say, uh, you know, a, a DNA worthy of uh, being transmitted? Oh, you're right. Not just DNA, but psychologically. And I mean, psychologically. If, you're, if you're a total jerk and a loser and an alcoholic, you know you shouldn't. But I think you should, Dan. No, I too think. late. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're. I think you're a good guy. I think you'd make a great father, and I think you ought to, It's high time you did it. But I'd say that to everybody. I don't tell Russman Eve. I think you know all these guys. They should have children. Why? Uh, I think Why should everyone have children? I mean, all. Why should the, everyone do anything? This. I mean, because this you should create life, and you should you know nurture a family. It's the only thing that you know makes your life worthwhile. I think. I, I mean, it's single people running around. What are they doing? Eating dinner. How many dinners can you have? I think it's. I think it's ridiculous. Well, think it's ridiculous. Of, people with children have dinner. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, 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 I, I kind of. You, you may be right. On the other hand, does the Earth not have enough people? Are we are we uh, lacking? Exactly. What do we need? Uh, aren't enough people going to appropriate uh, that we yeah, don't have? The Ameri- to Ameri- America needs needs population. Yeah, I think everybody like okay. So we maybe three hundred million people in this no, country. We have, yeah. we have, we have, everybody I know. So like, have kids for your country? We're yeah, verging, exactly. I think so. We're verging on negative population growth, and we're sustaining it yeah, through immigration. Kids. Yeah, we need kids. We need bigger families. We need people to get married. Yeah, I, look. I, so what? No, no, saying if I read him right, and I I think I do. Is we got to keep the immigrants out? <laughs> no, that's not what I was okay. saying. All right. <laughs> I try to. We have to. We have to procreate faster than the immigrants. Is that what you're saying? I mean, that would be a happy byproduct, but that's not. That wasn't my point. I don't know what you're saying. I don't, I don't know what the <laughs> no. point is of, of thinking that no. everyone should have children. Uh, I, I think, think a lot of people have children shouldn't have children. But I, I would say this: that it, that immigration has is is a divisive issue, and and um, at. Okay, I, for, I, I, it is. We, we're just we, putting words into your mouth. We should not. If, if, if we're almost in a situation of replacing Americans like one to one with somebody who was not born here, and, it's, and it leads to problems. But that's not the point about fatherhood. The father point of fatherhood, I hope he's going to get to, is what a joy it is and and how, how fulfilling it is. I suppose I don't know. Yeah, it is. Of I, course, it definitely is. Well, he's not. He doesn't sound joyous. Yeah, you don't sound you joyous. Make, to me, you, you, really? you're selling fatherhood as an obligation. You look, like you look for an excuse to get out of the house. <laughs> you're grimacing right now. I think, it, oh, I think it is a joy and an obligation. It's an obligation and a joy. But Noam, Noam loves being a father more than anybody I've ever known, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Hey, 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 hey. Well, do you, do you love fatherhood? Of course. Okay. Yeah. I love it's it more. I think Noam loves oh, it more. You can't say that because I've done it longer. <laughs> All right. You're a rookie. He's got. He's got. Uh, but how many Tony kids? Has like a thirty-year-old kid. Not your first kid. kid. No. So, what's that? What? It's not your first kid. This is my third. third but you have to remember, yeah. Noam has certain. He's res- making up for Dan. Yeah. Noam has certain resources wherein he can offset the uh, the the uh, financial labor yeah. intensiveness of fatherhood. Yeah. So so that does make it more joyful. Uh, not really. We didn't have much money growing up. That's what I'm saying. We had five kids. We didn't. We didn't have a lot of well, money. I'd we would like to ask your parents how much they they enjoyed it. <laughs> they did. They they enjoyed it. You well, know, they, they say you, they told you that. Yeah. Well, in the end, you know, at, at their ripe old age, I think they can look back and think they they did a good job. But yeah, I, I think re- you know, it's a little overstated the idea of oh, that's you know, you can you can make ends meet. I mean, it's amazing how how little money we spent growing up. We had nothing. You know, we had hand-me-downs, but oh, that it was fun the, for you. It was a joy for you, but you was. didn't have to get up in the middle and of the night. And it was easier back then, also. A mailman could have a house and a family. He, and a car I, I just read something. I think maybe in the, in the journal that, that actually 
uh, kind of punctures that myth a little bit, saying it's actually easier now, which which seemed counterintuitive to me. I don't know if you have any thoughts about well, it. Well, what do you mean? Why why is it easier now? I mean, some things are easier. I mean, it's always it's it's easier to get groceries delivered. We do all the time. You know, we have so many amazing things. You can order things through, uh, you know, Alexa. You can just announce what you want, and it comes to your door. But uh, people, it, the, the, the article said that I'll find it, that people are actually wealthier now. The stand, our standard of living is higher now than it was. Well, they, then. they might be wealthier. If, if you wanted to live like your parents did in the 50s and 60s, it'd be very, very easy to do now. No way. This is no what the way. article said. Well, that, the article that, that, well, now, might, but now, now kids, that parents want to send their kids to fancy classes all the time. There's, there's, there's all these new... There's more pressure. Well, that's, that's so that's kind of, pressure. Um, it is true. They're looking, at, they're looking at a very narrow segment of the population. It's not true at all. And it's much more expensive. I mean, I was a teenager. I could support myself. I go out and get a job, get an apartment. You can't, you can't do that today. What, what did you do you get, as a teenager to support yourself? Yeah, well, get, get a job, get a job doing anything. You can get a job. It was easier to get a job then for uh, young kids. They could get what? a job anywhere. I, I, could, oh, when I was my young, gut agrees you could get you. a job anywhere. My gut agrees you know, you with you. You could save the YMCA for twenty-five dollars a week. No, I'm, I remember I things did. like that. I remember my, my friends in high school would be working at Friendlies or, or whatever, and people had. But uh, things are not always as they appear, and uh, the article seemed pretty credible. Anyway, what what are the takeaway lessons of your, this? Is a, it's more of a biography? Is that what this is? It is. It's a it's a, it is a memoir of sorts. But they're stories. It's just stories. I start. I went in chron chronological order because it helps the story. But it's stories about growing up. And I say mean dads. It's kind of it's all tongue in cheek. It's funny stories from growing up. My dad, my brother and I were kind of scared of our dad. You know, he was a scary guy. He was a disciplinarian. Did he hit you? you uh, no, no, but he, we thought he might. You know, we, we, we stayed in line because he used to, I would say he'd reach for the belt, but he never took it off. Never. He never pulled <laughs> the belt out, no. And you, never, you, ne you never caught on. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> you know, I think he's bluffing. No, no, he's going to do it. That's the thing. I mean, maybe eventually. Maybe you we, guys are just cowards. You ever think about that? <laughs> exactly. But I don't have, I mean, I want a little of what my dad had because we're, you know, raising kids and I couldn't. I couldn't reach for the belt. They would laugh. You know, they know I'm not going to do it. So, but I do have a little. I have a little bit of the mean dad in me. I'm the, I'm the mean dad in my neighborhood. You know, and it's probably because of my dad. Because I think it's it's worthwhile. Well, in what sense are you mean? Well, I'm uh, I'm more. He beats them. Yeah. I'm, no, I mean I'm. He uses the belt. I, I don't mind. You know, I, I like depriving them of things. If, if they do something wrong, I like taking something away. I like punishment. You know, that's it's funny because. Like the, what? Why do you? What, what kind of why, why do you enjoy that? I enjoy it because it's a great way to raise kids. Like, you, you know, if they make a mistake, if they do something, or if they don't listen to me, I like there to be consequences because there are consequences in life. So I think it's good. I think growing up with the kind of consequences that, uh, you know, th th that if you, if you misbehave, you are punished. I think that's a good thing. You know, uh, I, I don't mind bad feelings for a while if someone learns a lesson, that kind of thing. Right. You know, so uh, I can't be as mean as my dad. I wish I could be a little meaner. And I wish we lived in a world that had more consequences. Well, I, think I think people were meaner back then in general because life was hot. You know, you were me. You grew up in the Depression. Uh, you were going to be mean. <laughs> yes. If you, if you endured. Or they the, said I did. I mean, now I think we have it easy. We're just not as mean. I mean, my grandfather was never, he was never happy, if memory serves. Yes. Because I think it's just life was just tough. In the no, life was tougher, yeah. This, this is what, by the way, have you read, and exactly this, you read like Judith Rich Harris, is that her name, Judith Rich Harris, or Charles Murray about, uh, the, the, recently about all these, yes. essentially saying that this is all bull, it's all in your genes, it, you're going to come out the way you're going to come out, with little, and, and, and whatever the environment does, it's more your peer groups and your socialization outside the home, which really contribute to it, and a lot of it is just 
uh, confirmation bias and rationalization. So you had a grandfather who so was if you're, old. If you're oh, abused wait, 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 as wait. a child, that doesn't affect Trauma you? is the one exception. But uh, uh, if you had a grandfather who was always unhappy. He seemed that And miraculously, way. he has a grandson who's always unhappy. You know, you're, that's, a, that's an interesting point. <laughs> and Charles Martin said, well, well maybe, obviously maybe, there's an no. unhappiness gene that passes down no, these no, anatomies. No, that's no, not, no, he had a tough life. No, a, it's just unhappiness in your family. No, that's not true. Maybe but he was, was also unhappy very, when Dan was around. But he, was also, <laughs> he also seemed very... Yeah. No, but I'm unhappy, but in, in a way... But there's lightness, there's gaiety, if I may, if I may <laughs> take back that word. Um, I, there's a gayness to me. All right, but but there's a lot. Even even with the unhappiness, there's a lot of stunning science now, especially uh, uh, research by taking identical twins who were separated at birth, raised apart with wildly different upbringings, and when all is said and done, they have the same personality types, kind of the same moral compass, same interests. Same I don't. It's so confusing. It's yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated to see those stories, but I, I feel like I was so. Uh, I was, I'm a, such a product of my upbringing and surrounding and the culture at large and everything that, you know, to me it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a fascinating idea. I, I feel you, the same way. It feels wrong. Yeah. But you're using an example. I mean, out of how many twins have they found? I mean, what is the percentage? No, I mean, they did. They said hundreds of you, hundreds You're of saying pairs. that you don't believe that people that grew up in the Depression or in war zones are, are necessarily less happy. Well, I'll say this. I've known people who had terrible lots in life, you know, uh, chronic illnesses, terminal illnesses. I, I have two people in mind who were just always happy and cheerful. And I remember thinking, how can you be happy and cheerful? I mean, if I were in your situation, I, would be pos I wouldn't even get out of bed. And I could only attribute it to... A, a happy disposition, a sunny disposition. But you don't know how you would react in that situation. I'm just saying that... Well, no, I think... I could think, be the drugs. I think, but can't we both be right? Can't there be a happiness gene or genes and also childhood circumstances playing Absolutely. a role? Absolutely. Yes. And I also think it's a muscle. I feel like I'm, I am definitely of a sunny disposition. I'm generally a positive person. But it's a, you know, it's because I exercise. I feel like it's a muscle that has to be worked. I, just like willpower is a muscle that has to be worked. I, I feel like I am aggressively happy. You know what I mean? I work on it. You know what I mean? And I, uh, I, I tend to, I tend to ignore negativity and I push it aside. But I do it consciously. It's like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna look at that. Are these I traits that uh, were uh, present in your family? Uh, probably, yeah. You know, it's the, like the, soldier on, look at the positive, don't ignore the negative. There's another layer to what you're saying, and I've experienced it because I've raised a son who was not, uh, who I didn't, you know, not, not my biological who's, son. Who's not in the will. Okay. And who's not in the will. And he's 23. Oh, by the way, have you left him out of the basement yet? He's, he's 23 <laughs> years old now. Oh. And he has nothing about me in this child. There's nothing about my personality, nothing about the way I look at things. No lesson that I've been able to teach him. I mean, clearly he is not my son. <laughs> right. Yet he grew up in my home. Nevertheless, my four- and five-year-old children have already begun to internalize certain kind of things that I've tried to teach them with punishment or whatever it is. Yeah. Almost as if they were ready to easily get, get where I was coming from, understand it, internalize it almost like it was there ready to be activated uh -huh. as it, it it was there genetically well i know gave what? it to them i imprinted on but if they hadn't had my genes in my own little anecdotal experiment like my first son nicholas it wouldn't have taken it's 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 this weird thing so then maybe like all these uh, uh fathers who uh, get women pregnant and then disappear 
Maybe uh, they do it because uh, their father did it. Maybe there's something in their genes. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I know you would take... I'm not saying it. <laughs> but I mean, that sounds what, like what you're saying. I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I'm, you know, people do this well, all I'll the time. I'll tell you what I told this, my son. Go ahead. I told my son the exact opposite of what you're saying. When he got married and uh, they you, were... Th what? Are you a granddad? No, not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> uh, when... Uh, <laughs> He got married, I told him. It's probably a terrible thing for a father to tell his son. But I told him, uh, you know, there's no rule that says you guys have to have kids. You know, you could have money. <laughs> but, uh, no, but I mean, like, their lifestyle is, uh, you know, they, they'll, go, they'll drive to Maine on the weekend. Uh, you, know, you know, they live in the city. Uh, you know, but I don't... I, they're in their early 30s. And I think if you really want to have kids, you know, I, I don't think you should feel compelled to have kids. I think you should want to have kids. I mean, I think you should want to... I think I... I think I always wanted to be a father. Even when I was a kid, I wanted to be a father. You look but, like a father. Oh, thank you. You got a fatherly you, look. You remind me of the father in the Wonder Years. A big barrelly. You, you know what? Tony, nobody that, that a lot, actually. nobody that barrelly cannot be a father. You know what Tony does? Well, what it it annoys do? me. Uh -oh. And and uh, but a lot of people do this. And and your ilk. Everybody on the left does this. What? I, I, and I think Tom will agree. I try to keep an open mind about everything. So I read. Do you? So I read a book by uh, <laughs> by this. You know this. Uh, by Judith, is it Judith Rich Harris? Is that her name? I, anyway, I send it to you. And uh, also uh, some stuff that Charles Murray has written. And these are smart people doing a lot of research. It's backed up. It's, it's people have tried to refute it, and they, and they defend it very ably. And I say to myself, you know, I, I can't just dismiss this. Let me think about this. And let me so I bring it up in conversations, and people will immediately spin it out, try to find some way that it could be racist, Tar me with as if as if I came up with it and just dismiss it. So you he can't. He just you, did none of that. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> Thank you. you. No, Thank he, you. you know, he just not smart enough to understand where, <laughs> yeah, right. what you were saying. He was saying that that therefore I'm saying that blacks are genetically no, that, predisposed. That's not, that's not what I said. Exactly. I did he not say that. Imply that. I did not. Did I say that? I Maybe did, you're the one not. who takes shit and spins it around. Uh, uh, then what? Then what were you saying? Tom, wait a second. You're an impartial observer. I didn't hear that. I defy you all. Then what were you saying when you're saying, was that why no, certain no, I'm, people no, have, no, no, have no, children, no. father children, and, and don't stay at home? No, no, I no didn't what I'm asking you is... What, 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 what segment you, of our population in this country has that issue in spades right now? Sorry. All right, Mr. Marr. Has that issue seriously right now? You have, you have, serious, you have oh, situations in the inner saying, city where upwards of 90% of, of okay. somebody's so, are being so born without fathers. Right? That's why I'm asking you the question. I, yeah. Are you saying that's why? Yes, yeah, so you were saying what I'm saying you're saying. No, I'm asking no, you. No, he's asking a question. Yes. Is that what you interpret? Interpreting it as. So just I'm not saying you are. Okay, you. So Talking. so you acknowledge at least that's what he was implying. No, no, implying what? All right, whatever. He wasn't guys, implying all, anything. You know he was asking a question. You know you're all phonies and you're all cowards. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> We're asking you a question. I'm just asking you if I, you think that's what it means. Yeah, but you're putting me on the spot when I don't I don't know the answer to that. But okay, if I, that's but if fine. I, but if I what if, let's let's spin it out. What if I said yes? I think that's what it means. What would your answer be? What, what the hell? Racist. Yeah, no. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. That's my point. You're, no, ask, no. you're asking no, me. A no. You're asking me a question which really I can only well, answer no, 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 one saying, way. Well, then what I would say is if you and did if believe I, that. No. Yeah. What I would have said it yeah. if you did if you did believe that. Yeah. I would say then well then we should be helping these people because it's of not course. their fault. Yes. But I I don't believe that's the case. I think that. Uh, As a society, I think that trauma. Someone once said listen, it takes a village. I don't know. Listen, but you what? if you take a seed, 
and you plant that seed, it needs a certain amount of water and a certain amount of sunlight and a certain amount of nutrients in the soil to become the tree that it's supposed to be. Right. And once it has that amount of nutrients that it needs, it's going to grow to be that tree. And if you can triple the amount of nutrients, you're really not going to get much of a taller tree. It grows to its potential when it has the baseline requirements. If you give it less than it needs, then you do see the results of a kind of a traumatic development. And I think that's what humans are. They, I think they need are a you, father. Are, they need a, a mother. They need sunlight. They need rain. While you're but if they about have it, they grow up to be the people they're meant I, to be. When I was but a kid living in the Bronx, them, yeah. there was a man who had his... It was, it was uh, two family houses, whatever. Yeah. And he, there was this tree on the street, this weak little tree that we used to make fun of. Every time we went near it, he'd come out screaming and yelling at us. And he always had like this metal post next to it. And it was like, you know, it, it was this... It was, a, it was a joke. It was a joke on the block. And eventually, it's, after all these years, this guy just took care of this tree. Eventually, it grew big and strong. And that's what being a parent is. Yes. You know, you take care of something, you nurture it until, uh, until it grows strong on its own. And that's it. I think that's true. I want to get, you know, the... Uh, we, it's some, uh, Tony should read my because I, I think Tony read that tree story. But everybody, somewhere. the thing is, I got to come back later, okay? And everybody has to read the book. Like, I want everyone to read the book. We could, we could discuss stuff in the book, in my book, for a, like it would be the launching pad for a number of great discussions. I, I will read it. I but, promise you. But tell us one yeah. story. That we'll, well, no, I mean, I don't. I, I'm not thinking of any any specific thing. But the thing is that I don't know if we have to sandwich my book into discussions because I don't need to be plugging it. I mean, it's great to plug. That. I've been plugging the book for like days. No, but this is my favorite topic. Is fatherhood right it's now? It's fantastic. But I think you know, in general, the first part of the book is all about the idea. It's it's poking fun of the way I grew up, and and I think that we could learn something. Was your father a writer? Uh, yeah, he was, but I, I, he write he would write poetry, you know. He was college educated. He was like a you know, uh, smart guy, but he kept it to himself. But he would write poetry, and sometimes I would see some of his poems and things like that. But he loved, I mean, he loved Shakespeare and great books and things like that. He loved musicals. He used to force me to watch Kiss Me Kate and musicals like that. You know, wait, it was a, like minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about your other father? <laughs> <laughs> Wait <laughs> a second here. <laughs> you walked into that one. Right? Exactly. I mean, Sorry. but he would he would enforce what I watched on TV, and you know, we we used to he was watch Jimmy Cagney movies and uh, you know South Pacific and things like that. He loved all the old entertainment, so uh, you know he would police my TV watching. I was just talking. Who the heck was that? Oh, I was at on Kumia's show, and he was talking about his parents took him to Bonnie and Clyde at the drive-in. And he was traumatized because they got shot up, and he, he threw up. He was eating all the junk food, and he vomited after watching Bonnie and Clyde as a kid. He was seven years old. And I said, my dad wouldn't let me watch Bonnie and Clyde when I was, like, 14. Wow. You know, he wouldn't even let it on the TV. And it wasn't the violence. It was the fact that Bonnie and Clyde were portrayed sympathetically, that the bad guys were the good guys. He didn't believe in that anti-hero thing, that the cops were the bad guys and the robbers were the good guys. So yeah. he, didn't, he didn't believe in that. It was a big thing in the 70s, so he would police my TV viewing in that way. So you didn't see The Godfather? Uh, no, I didn't. No, we, I mean, it didn't see much. We used to watch Carol Burnett, and, you know, it was like, you know, mostly family TV and things like that. My but no, father I, took me to see Straw Dogs with that horrible rape scene in a movie theater in Times Square when I was eight years old. And I remember the woman in the box office fighting with him, not wanting to let him take me into the, into the movie. And my father's screaming at the lady because it was R and he had the right to, to take me in. Right. And I remember, and, and it didn't affect me. I mean, you know. It, but you're talking about it right now. 
Obviously, you remember it. I remember a lot. That, I, yeah, remember, I, remember, I remember going to Palisades Park, too. I mean, what, what are you talking about? I'm just saying that... Do you remember Freedom Land? No. They tore it down and built co-ops. No, no, it's just an interesting... Like, I don't let my kids see... Like, there's something in us. It's like, I don't, I don't want them to see that. I don't want them to see this. But then I think it's probably just in our heads. I think it probably doesn't matter what they see. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, I think it does. I think it's, you know, I think you, like I said, I mean, Anthony, you know, this like he's telling me he was traumatized by watching these people get shot. And he was like, I can't believe my parents brought me to that at that young age. You know, they didn't really think of it. But I I mean, I'd be a bad poster child for the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. But I police my children's movie, but they watch the Disney Channel. But there are certain Disney Channel shows I don't like. And I'm like, you're not going to watch that show. I don't like the way the kids talk to each other. It's like. You know, I'm fine with making decisions. I'm like, no, no, none of that. You know, you can't watch that. You can watch that. I, you know, I. How I old is your that. youngest? Uh, seven. So I got eleven and seven. So will you take them to see the new Wonder Woman movie? No, no. But just Why? you know, Before no, no reason. There's so much. You know, maybe if it were, but my you daughter's know, dying to see. It. I basically say no to that. But uh, you know, there's so much great children's entertainment. You know, we go to the movies like once every two weeks. And, you know, Boss Baby, yeah, we'll go to see that. You we know, saw Captain Underpants yesterday. Oh, yeah. And Star good. Wars. They love Star Wars, so, I t- you know, we, I take them to all the Star Wars. You took them to the one where, the, where, where Kylo Ren kills yeah. his dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, pretty- you know, it's, it's all... It, if they're heavily into it, it's like, it's not just, you know, they just don't... And maybe Wonder Woman's fine. It's just, it's not on my to-do list, you know. But I don't mind... You know, that I, one you're going to see on your own, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, I probably won't, but I'm not that into, you know live action superhero stuff but I kind of like the Star Wars thing and it's it's so rich that you can talk about it you can talk about all the uh, the Star Wars characters and so that you know that's a murder like the the son murders his father it's kind of it's very surprising it's kind of very uh, but they're they I think they they we talk a lot about the Star Wars universe so to me it's a fable I mean you could, there's, yes, there's a yes. morality play well Luke yeah. killed his father too I yes so, yeah know. I mean it's all I mean I think it's great I love Star Wars I like the and to me there's nothing there's nothing bad about it. It's a, it really is a, about good, you know, the, the struggle of good versus evil, and I, I love all that. How stuff. do you explain death to your? How do you explain death to a child? How do you ex- children explain death to? How did your parents explain death to you, dude? Um, I forgot, but I remember it was very traumatic. And then my parents told me, but it won't happen for a long time, which is a lie because <laughs> the shit goes fast. Yeah. What they should have said is it is uh, it'll happen. It'll go slow till you're about 25, and then after that, it's a blur. I but, but <laughs> that's you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> they should have got a laugh, yeah. <laughs> we should have laughed at that. They should have said, it will happen. You'll get the first 25 years, it'll be nice and easy. And then after that, it's, it's, a, it's a fucking drag race to the, to the grave. I've been telling my kids not to but worry they did, about didn't it. Didn't your parents and grandparents always tell you, but my grandparents are, never get old? I always thought it was their way of like promoting teen suicide. My, but they're, they're my, my right. yeah. so, exactly. So, what do you? Your Never parents, get old. Have your children asked you about what they don't it means to, to ask. die? I mean, you know, they've been going to funerals since they were babies. So, what do you what do you tell them? Because I don't know what to tell my kids. I don't know. Well, what to tell it's them. very. I mean, it's very simple when you're Catholic. We go to. I mean, it's very. I said, you know, say, people have a soul. They die. They move on. You know, it's it's. It's it's not a, a difficult concept for kids. I understood death when I was a kid, and I would go to funerals yeah, when was I was an sh- altar boy. Sugar coated with religion. Yeah, it's you really you really touched right. on. I you. actually believe it, you dummy. Yeah, you. Well, I, but I, I, don't yeah, believe. Believe. I believe people but have no a soul, so but, I believe that. So it's it's easy to pass that on. Well, to so, okay, where's your you soul were, go when you're when you're when you're under profile for a colonoscopy? I'm not. So let me ask you this: What do you tell your What do you tell your your seven year old when he when is he or she? 
she. They're both she. When she, well, when she asks you, where does an unbaptized Jewish guy go after he dies? Oh, we. Love, I mean, listen, we love the Jews. We talk about the Jews all the time because we're in Riverdale, you know. Uh. So but, but don't, don't, uh, they don't ask that. They don't. I mean, you know, you say you that's say a to, tougher question. That's a tougher answer. You know, you say to Manny. I got to tell you what you say to Manny. You say life is full of pain and suffering, and it's over much too quickly. And I'm sorry I brought you into the world. Pass the what, pass the pizza. What I've been telling them because I'm not religious, but somehow my children are talking about God all the time, and yeah. I don't I don't tell them you know that I don't that I don't believe in God. Do so you but think Dan should have a child though? Yeah. Even though he doesn't want a child, I think it's his obligation that yeah. he should have a child. I, yeah, the I, thing is, he doesn't know what he wants. He's an idiot because he's a single man. So he's well, like, and so all of these dumb single guys should great, have a kid. You uh, you should get married. You should have a kid. You will have tremendous joy. You'll pass that on to your kids, and it would you know. And it's it, it I is, don't want somebody that one day will be like, oh fuck, I got to go see dad today. That's and what? That's your kid? Uh, it's it's at some point every kid is going to turn on you. Well, it's fine. Because you're not fun anymore, and they got their own lives. Well, that's it. That's I mean, I have my own life. I don't see my dad that much. I mean, I, I, I praise the guy in a book, but I mean, I don't get on the phone with him all the time. What do, exactly. what do you mean, turn on him? Well, that's turning on him. Not, not, not turning on him, but, but, but unfounded worries. Consider him a hindrance. Too many, too many you Harry like, songs. You, you consider him like something that, that is not a cause of joy. No. Why, why is that automatic? Well, because your parents get old. It's sad. Yeah, but you're still glad to see them. I'm glad to see them, but it's sad. You think that happens with everyone? I don't know, does it? it? You tell me. I, I, I don't know. It didn't happen with Noam and Manny. I'm sorry. His, un, his unhappiness through the Natterman lineage. That's what I'm. That's, that's my my point. Uh, so and we're just so getting back. He just has, show him that but he has added a little joy to his life. Because he's a comedian, so he's 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 fighting the forces of darkness. You know, he sees the world in a dark way. He tends to be a negative person, Dan. He always has. I'm a negative Nelly. Yes, but I think the thing is, it's like I could just plead with Dan and tell him that you know you, you can say, oh, oh, this joy and that joy. That's why I don't speak in terms of joy. It's like just shut up, get married, have a kid. You'll figure it out later. It's like I'm not gonna sell you on it. That's why I use the word obligation. It's like, just go do it. Like, it's embarrassing how old these people are getting. <laughs> Russ Beneve and, you know, You're and right. Dan. You, uh, you know, You're absolutely it's correct. It's like, stop. Like, it's Russ Beneve is a catch and a half. I mean, the guy, look at this, like, when he smiles yeah. at you, you, you just melt. Well, your father he would should, have liked him. But he anyway. Should, <laughs> and, and, he, <laughs> and he's a good guy. And look, Russ would be, I mean, and will be, I can only hope, a great dad. And uh, and it's it is it's your obligation to pass that on to the next generation. I, can, I believe it. Can I say one more thing about fatherhood? Then I want to ask you something else about yes. Fox. Uh, and, and I I've I've said this before, and I've uh, I've uh, likened it to a a puppy, who you throw it in water and all of a all of a sudden it starts to do a dog paddle. Now this puppy never knew and would have never expressed that behavior. Has no way of knowing that in its brain is a full section devoted to swimming. Yeah. That's what fatherhood is. You become a father, and all of a sudden, you are activated Boom. to no, instincts and behaviors you, you never don't have knew to were instincts. It's the greatest analogy I've ever heard. Oh, thank you. It is so Wait, good. I, Did I you hear the, that, Dan? I thought the greatest and that's why it's hard to explain to somebody yeah. else, because I was trying to talk to a puppy who's never been in the water. I'm like, dude, it's great. You're, but you know. Yeah. Well, but again, you talk about fatherhood in, in more glorious terms than most folks that I've spoken with. Well, you don't need the glorious terms, Dan. I'm just saying. But you don't but even have Tom to be a happy dad. I'm telling you, you just have to go be a dad. Just do it. Yeah, Tom is coming at it from a different point of view. Tom is saying, be a dad because that's why we're on this planet, yes. to be dads. Yes. You're saying be a dad because it's oh so joyful. 
Well, well, it's two different uh, points ho- of view. Hopefully, those are actually two different ways of saying the same thing. My yeah. reason's better because no, you no. just have to do it. Like, Tom's Noam, not saying that buy, at all. Noam, you need to buy his argument. I'm not even making an argument. I'm just saying you have to do it. So go do it. Tom David. is old Tom. school Catholic. This is what we do. Yes, that's it. Yeah. You don't. You don't question. Yours is not to question why. Yours is but to do or die. All right. <laughs> Noam is. I, saying, I, I have I a question actually about that. Are yeah. you sympathetic to the people who never want to have kids who are annoyed as hell when people who do have kids say, "Oh, just." Just wait, just wait. It, oh, it's gonna happen for you, and you'll you'll believe me. Believe me, it, it's gonna happen, and you're gonna enjoy it. When uh, the entire time they're sitting there thinking, "What the fuck is this person talking to me about this for?" Yeah, Again, I've I had know. this happen for 20 guess, years. Yes, I guess I have sympathy for them. That's why they'd probably like me, because I'm like, you know, it's like here's my advice: do it or shut up or whatever. But like, they're I think they're clueless. I think these, you know. These aging single people are, I think they're a little sad. I think they're, uh, it know, is it's sad. sad to see them But you know what? Up. You know why it's sad? Yeah. It's sad because I, I haven't succeeded more. Is Bill Maher sad? It's, it, it's sad. I no. give you oh, it's sad. Bill Maher's much sadder. You think it's sad? He's sadder, sadder than me? Yes. He's pathetic. He's pathetic. He, it's that, you know, living. Do you, you, like, you concur? He, look at his face. They all look the same. He and Hugh Hefner, like, there's this face of an old playboy. You know, you know who it's never had kids? Like, there's something terrible about uh, it. I'll tell you something. You know who never had kids? Who? George Washington. George Washington never <laughs> the had the father kids. of our country. Father of our country. But now maybe you could say, well, what he did was so much great. Like, is it possible in your mind to do something so great that having kids is is not necessary to to justify your existence? You know, it's funny, Dan. I uh, you did silence me there, and also there might be a point in the book where I, I think I might have even mentioned George Washington. Uh, and his kids or something, because I think I compared my dad. <laughs> oh, I, man. I was comparing my dad to the founding fathers, and I was like, I bet my dad was uh, just as, as... I bet George Washington and his kids were just as scared of, uh, of him, but... Fact check. Uh, what, hey, you know, <laughs> what am I going to do? It's just, you know, it's just me talking. What am I going to do? He did have... He did have um, you know, uh, a country. Uh, and then there are other yeah. presidents who right. did have kids and who were completely miserable, like Lincoln. Right. I have a couple yeah. other questions before, before yeah. we uh, uh, finish. Fox News was your was Red Eye being canceled related to Roger Ailes's uh, uh, being uh, taken out? Uh, no, 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 it was not. Although it, you know, if Roger was still there, who knows? Because he would have been totally in charge, and you can't you can't make. You That's can't what say, I think. Because he he kind of championed you guys, didn't he? Did. He? Uh, he loved it, but everybody did too. And the people who canceled our show loved it. I mean, they the the short answer, the two I think the two word answer to people who. Uh, are mourning the death of Red Eye. And the thing is, I kind of like the mourning because it shows how much they were attached to it. And so, uh, here's the thing. The, the word is live coverage. Live coverage. Uh, they, they are moving, as a lot of cable news is, to live coverage. And Red Eye was always... It, was, it occupied an interesting space at Fox News because you had these big heavy hitters who got huge ratings would pre-tape their shows at 4, 5, 6 o'clock, you know? Like O'Reilly. Yeah. And 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, they were pre-taped shows. That's the way they did it. I mean, they're big stars. They want to go home to their, you know, to their families, things like that. So a lot of big stars pre-taped their shows. Uh, Fox News knows the, the, the future of news is live. Like, it's, news is moving faster and faster and faster. So they wanted to go live. They saw the opportunity. Most of their prime time is live now. 8 o'clock is live. 9 o'clock is live. We taped at 8 o'clock. Red Eye was basically using crews that were left over from the prime time shows. Uh-huh. Now they're not there. So we, we got pushed out. It's not that... The, uh, it's the logistic, is, a logistical issue behind We almost doubled our ratings. Yes. I mean, ratings were almost double from when I took over the show. We were doing fabulously. People are mourning it. But the thing is, I'm going to rebuild it. I'm now in radio on Fox News. I'm doing radio. I'm going to do digital. I want to... I want to kind of take over a little digital space and then 
you know, we had half a million viewers. I think... You Which don't is think a I lot. Get, yes, it's a lot. For, for three in the morning, it was huge, okay? But you don't think I can get half a million viewers for a digital show? I think I can. I have no idea, but... But, but I think I can rebuild it. So it's my responsibility. Thing is, they made their decision. I was sad to have it go, but I'm still there. And I think we can build a, a digital project that is like Red Eye. But essentially, I think if people can understand that, the word live coverage, that's what means everything. And the fact that we were being, we were taping at 8, 8 to 9 every day. Right now, what's going on at Fox News from 8 to 10 is all, like, th all those crews that used to help shoot our show, they're shooting live, massive, massive, big budget shows. So I think Fox News made a big mistake. I don't know, uh, 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 exaggerated, but I think Fox News made a mistake canceling Red Eye. I do, yes, of course. I absolutely do. And, and, and well, you have a, I mean, people will, because you're self-interested, you know, but I think you're right. And um, I think that Ailes kind of understood this magic formula that Red Eye was one part of, which, which was uh, an overall thing that Fox was, which its fans loved. Yes. And it, now that's gone. And then also, like, just... Maybe it's not fair. Like this first show, this first post Ailes show, the specialist side thing. But I'm like, this, it, I can't, I can't watch it. It's the first new show that's been on Fox. Really? That I can't get through five minutes of it. Oh, I want. I mean, I've been watching it, and I think it's, I think it's good. I'm doing it uh, this week. I'm doing it Friday, and so I'll give you my report on how it feels to to be there. But I think it's doing well. The ratings are good. They are good. Yeah. This yeah. guy Eric Balling. I mean, I don't, I don't want to put you on this, but like, I just feel like he's. He's great. He's got no, he's I got don't a phone. He's got two shows. He's got a weekend show that does great. And I used to love doing the five with him. You know, he was closer to my uh, uh, politics a lot than some of the other people. And I'm so friendly with Greg and Dana. They're like personal friends of mine. I love, but you know, perfect example. Gutfeld yeah. is a big talent. Huge. Would the powers that be at Fox News now have the depth to have recognized Gutfeld as a great talent? Because Ailes. Got him, yeah, and 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 and, and that, that's what's interesting to me. Ailes had that insight, yeah, and it doesn't. And Eric, Eric Bowling maybe are right, but Gutfeld is special. Oh, I mean, to me, he's the he's the greatest, and he's responsible for me. You know, he got me in there, he helped me, and then you know we did a thing. I mean, the guys, he's the best. I love him to death. And Ailes just one after another, he picked these guys. Even when it kind well, of he got, was a genius. I mean, even he when was Frank a, the Monster, like uh, what's his name, uh, Glenn Beck, who was kind of like. Went, yeah. went, it went crazy, but even still, Ailes saw absolutely that absolutely. Beck had something. I don't like Glenn Beck. I'm just saying he, he clearly he touched a chord with he people. He is a great TV guy. I mean, he could monologue. I mean, do you watch him? I used to watch his show at five. He can. He had such a connection. The way he would look in the camera and talk right to people. He's he's like a master. He was yeah. great. But he's a little crazy, I think. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah. but aren't the great? You know, so was Judy Garland, and she's riveting to watch. <laughs> All right. But anyway, we, we, the, we, but Ailes was a, a genius and a rare. I mean, like a once in a century kind of genius. He was the Hitchcock of, of cable news. And, I, and, I, and and Hitchcock was known to be he was groping his he, leading no, woman no, too. No, he, he, what I mean is his vision. His oh, vision. Well, and you know together. He, and he loved comics. He loved comedians. He was the booker for Mike Douglas. He was the comedy booker for Mike I Douglas. I didn't know that. He was a comedy booker in the 70s. And I'm sure you know, but our, our listeners uh, should maybe go listen to it, how beautifully Shepard Smith stoke, spoke about how Roger Ailes accepted him and his partner and with no anti-homosexual animus at all, which everybody would, shallow people would assume, you know, the head of Fox News must be a, a gay basher. No way. Listen, 
Everyone's got to go. All you got to do is search Shepard Smith eulogy for Roger Ailes. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen it, on it television. It was beautiful. Shepard is amazing. Shepard has Glenn Beck-like talent, the way he can just connect. He's, and he winged that. You know, Shepard doesn't... He can wing things. He can just sit and look into the lens of a camera, and he can talk. And that is like, what was it, a 15-minute speech? It's amazing. I, I, I made my wife watch it. I was like, you have to watch this. She sat down and watched it on her iPad. She was bawling her eyes out. It's amazing. You might like this. And then we'll, and my father my father died like 15 years ago. But I remember he said to me about Shepard Smith. He says, I like Shepard Smith. He says, I enjoy the music that comes out of his mouth when he speaks. <laughs> enjoy the music that comes out of his mouth when he speaks. He felt there was just something about the way he spoke that reminded him of music. Yeah, he's and like, my father's not a, a flaky guy. I bet, you, I bet you anything. Is he a musician, your dad? Yeah, he's a musician. Yeah, that's it. He yeah. could t- I, and I bet you anything that Shepard Smith is a musician. I bet he's a drummer or something because he has a rhythm to talking. Yeah, there's if something. he's not a musician, actually, he's got musical talent. Yeah. Let, All right. The name of the book, uh, if I may sum, Please. is Mean Dads for a Better America, the Generous Awards of an Old-Fashioned Childhood. Uh, the theme of this book, I guess, is that old-fashioned, strict childhoods are the best. Noam disagrees. Noam believes that short of molesting your kid, basically it's going to turn out the way it's going to turn out. DNA is king. <laughs> I, don't, is what it, I don't know. I'm just saying that there's pretty... I, I'll, I'll send you the link to this book. Oh, I know, read Mark. I love Murray, but I don't understand all his charts and graphs, but as a philosopher, he is one of the greats. Well, the she, read Judith Rich Harris, because she really wrote the definitive book that, on this line the, of thought. Uh, my, it's pretty my, convincing. Uh, my feeling, of course, is that they're both right and they're both wrong, obviously. Nature and nurture both have a role to play. We want to thank Tom, and he revealed some very interesting things about his own life and his father, and how his father struggled <laughs> with his sexuality at a time that was. Are you talking? He he loved musicals. He loved Jimmy Cagney, and he would make me watch all of the great musicals, which is why I'm a great appreciator of, of music. We thank here. the ever provocative Tony Darrow, who had to leave to do a set. Uh, Tony, the the liberal foil. Uh, that enjoys a good sparring with Noam. Stephen Calabria, of course. Wrap it up, Dan. This is a, this is a long-winded e- e- exit. And um, we'll see you next time. Next <laughs> week we'll discuss, I'm sure, a lot of the same topics, because that's what we do here. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>